My name is Harrison Wheeler, and this is Technically Speaking. This show is recorded live in San Francisco and produced in collaboration with Dave Clark at Studio Pod Media. Our show coordinator is Deanna Marinci, with additional editing and music presented by Notalab. This episode of Technically Speaking is sponsored by Automatic, the people behind WordPress.com, Jetpack, WooCommerce, Tumblr, and more. Automatic's 1,400 people hail from 79 countries and speak 99 languages. Their open source software products democratize publishing and commerce so that anyone with a story can tell it and anyone with a product can sell it, regardless of income, gender, politics, language, or country. More than 1 billion people use Automatic products every month. Automatic also contributes directly to WordPress, the open source project that powers over 40% of websites on the internet. If you're ambitious, energetic, and driven by a passion to help people, you can make a visible, profound, and lasting difference working at Automatic. Visit automatic.com to check out the latest job listings today. That's A-U-T-O-M-A-T-T-I-C.com. Matthew, maybe give folks a, a brief introduction to the audience and the listeners out there. Hey, thanks for having me on the show. This is great. Super excited about it. Uh, I'm Matthew Barnes. I am a design veteran with 24 years of experience from agency to entrepreneur uh, to in-house B2B, B2C. Um, I live in Oakland, California, the best bay uh, for fast five years. Originally from Missouri, spent most of my adult life in Texas, but um, Oakland's my home. Um, been here with my my wife and our two cats. So that's that's me. Awesome. So you're a cat. You're a cat person too. Yeah, I've, you I've know, like I I was a dog person growing up, but my wife converted me. So uh, why why the why the conversion? <laughs> I don't know. They're easier. They're self sufficient. Yeah, you know? they're like they're like design systems. When you you get them in place, they essentially <laughs> enable a team to take care of themselves and oh to self serve. So cats, wow. you put food out, they feed themselves, they go to the litter box, and they do all the things. Yeah, it's it's a, it's amazing just kind of how like out of birth, they, they know what to do. Yeah. They it's, know exactly what they do. It's pretty amazing. You, you can move the litter box into any room and they'll find they'll it. figure it out. You'll figure it out. Yeah. I, so I actually have a, like an automatic feeder for my cat. Oh, nice. And so, um, I switched up her schedule because she was eating a little bit too much and it's amazing because now she knows exactly what time the food will dispense. She's like out there waiting for it. Oh, nice. So yeah, it, it yeah, so easy. We have a a um, a little robot. Oh wow! That automatically rotates oh. once it reaches a certain weight. Yeah. So we change it once a week, clean it out like monthly. But, yeah, um, yeah. That's, that's next level. Yeah, that's next level. That's next, I'm still using the scooper. <laughs> so hey, w- before we get started with the with the meat of the show, I want to start out by asking you a few icebreaker questions. So as with everyone that's kind of been here, and fortunately, most folks I say towards the end of the week have been located in the Bay Area. Now that things are starting to open up, what is, what is something that you're looking forward to do? Travel. Travel is probably top of everyone's list. You yeah. know, just getting on a plane and hitting an island or some European art gallery. But realistically, it's that human contact. Sure, sure. For the past year, year and a half, I've just been meeting people outdoors and backyards and giving like those distant hugs. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to really sitting down and and hugging someone and having that just that one-on-one human contact. So yeah. I, I think that's probably, you know, the top of mind right now. Yeah. And, and I've seen sort of like an influx of invites 
start to happen yep. now with sort of delayed like baby showers, housewarming parties or just hey, let's just chill. Yeah. And you know, there's a lot of good food out there too, which is always great. And so I much know good Oakland food. Oakland has a has a good food scene as well. Yeah. Perfect. So you mentioned that you are an aficionado of music. So Give us, give us sort of like an idea of your preferred genre, and then who are you listening to right now? All right, so this is I'll, I'll keep this short <laughs> because this this can be the entire podcast if we, sure. if we wanted to. Uh, I, I grew up hip hop head, you know, yeah. the golden era '90s. You know, I was a big tribe called Quest, De La Soul, yeah. all of that. Uh, yeah. But most recently, I trans. Well, not even most recently. I think around 2000, I kind of transitioned to more of a down-tempo house drum and bass okay. head. Okay. And just really dove deep into it. And so like- Deep into like yeah. deep house? Like deep, deep house. Deep house. Deep, like, deep, deep know, house. Um, okay. JT Donaldson, who okay. actually lives in Austin, is my homie. Jimster, early in the 2000s, I was listening to a lot of Four Hero, which is mm. drum and bass in UK. They're still yeah. around, but they do more of experimental. Yeah. Um, so I listened to a lot of deep house, but um, I, I have transitioned to- a lot of different genres. Um, Little Dragons, yeah, is my go-to. Yeah, Highest Coyote, Toriel Amar, who's also oh, yeah. local. Yeah, yeah, he's, yeah, he's a local cat, but uh, that's but that's been on my playlist. Yeah, pretty frequently, almost every day. Um, tall black guy, yeah. you know, who's super dope. Um, MF Doom, rest in peace, you know, Mad yeah. Lab. Um, and also Freddie Gibbs, you know, like I'm a big oh. Freddie Gibbs fan. That's like my workout um, yeah. music. So <laughs> I, I didn't realize Freddie Gibbs was also like a comedian. Really? Yeah. He's like, he's a, an extremely hilarious person. Oh. So I used to do concert promotion back when I lived in the Midwest. And so I never actually booked Freddie Gibbs, but there were a lot of folks that were kind of Freddie Gibbs adjacent. So that's how I kind of got to to listen to him from a lot of the mixtapes that they were featured on. And and yeah, I mean, I think like Deep House, I think that's that's amazing. Uh, I mean, I was in Chicago for a little bit. Obviously, there was a lot of that there. And then there's a really interesting like part of my journey where I was actually traveling quite a bit to Poland. Really? Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, a lot of my coworkers out there were really in the Deep House. There were a lot of clubs that played it. And then you're not terribly far from Berlin. So there's a ton of like that influence that kind of came through there wow. as well. Wow. Yeah. yeah. See, I was late to the game with house music. I remember growing up, yeah. I, I couldn't understand it. I remember listening to some early Chicago house yeah. uh, back in the mid and late 90s and just didn't make sense to my young brain. Yeah. It took a while for my musical palette to mature to yeah. really appreciate it. So yeah, I'm a huge, huge fan. Yeah. And I, I think it's good for just like getting in the flow and working. I mean, and I feel like over time you kind of evolve. You know, I don't think I can really get in the flow to a tribe called Quest, like at least in the work that I do. Yeah. But I could definitely see that on some deep house. And, you know, they're a little bit longer tracks. Yeah. Yeah. You get an hour mix. And, you know, to, <laughs> this is funny. Fun fact. Um, I actually uh, posted my first SoundCloud mix. Okay. Like a couple of years ago. It's, it's, it's super, super amateurish. And, yeah. You know, uh, Wait, so but, you're, uh, you're making music too. Well, I'm not making. I just curated my the songs that I really enjoy. Like uh, house. Okay. Got and it, just it. published a mix just for fun. So yeah. So yeah. Good, good. I mean, maybe maybe it's a time to pick up a new hobby. Hey, it's, 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 all, it's all about the transitions. Yeah, it's all about transitions. And that's my bucket list. I think I have an hour. I can do an hour set. Yeah. You know, if I can just master like the transitions, I got enough music for an hour, then yeah. I'm done. Yeah. Hey, that's all, that's all you need. It's all you need. It's you, all can, you, need. you can just flip it to the next right. DJ. You know, a house music track will last like 15 minutes. Yeah. So you only need like five songs. For sure, for sure. <laughs> So, okay, another another sort of area that you're very passionate about is classical art. Uh, yes. Right? So 
what period of classical art and why? Oh, wow. That's that's a great question. Like, I, I, I jump <laughs> around all over the place, but if I had to pick one, it would be early Renaissance. Okay. Um, like, um, like the Caravaggio's and Botticelli's. Maybe, uh, El Greco. Maybe, maybe paint a picture of the type of what, like, what folks would see. So, see, this is auditory. Mm-hmm. And you just, we're not going to put any graphics up of the art. So now it's it's incumbent on you to be able to describe this. Okay, I, I'm going to describe The Assumption of the Virgin by El Greco, which okay. is like one of my favorite pieces. Uh, I, I First time I saw it was the Art Institute in Chicago, their oh, gallery. Yes. And amazing gallery, by the amazing, way. Amazing, amazing yeah. gallery. And this was several years ago, almost a decade ago. I, I recall walking into the room and there's probably like four or five paintings in there, and they're all giant altarpieces. And if you're not sure what an altarpiece is, the church used to commission artists to paint mm-hmm. these particular scenes to put into their churches, places of worship. And so this piece is giant, it's yeah. extremely giant. And uh, I sat there for like a good 30 minutes just staring at it and essentially tells the story, the assumption of the Virgin, um, where the Virgin is actually you know, the protagonist of the piece. Mm-hmm. and. Everything is centered around it. Um, there's angels flying around it, and there's all the disciples that are ascending up to it. Yeah. And so what I like about the classic style is just the execution. And I, I always put myself in that period of not having an art store or having the ability to pick all types of um, oil paints just based on, oh, sky blue. You know, you have your, sure. your orc or yellow. Yeah, you, essentially, you were mixing oil Back in the day, um, right. you didn't have an iPad or a MacBook Pro to really yeah. zoom in on that photo. And so what the right. beauty is about, you know, able to look at a human form, capture that light and capture that essence without any technology is what I really, really right. appreciate about it. And one of the things you can also appreciate if you've ever drawn a human figure is the fact that everyone is proportionate. Right. That's extremely right. difficult. Extremely difficult at that scale. Yeah. Extremely difficult at a smaller scale, like 16 by 16 or sure. 10 by 10. You can you can pretty much master it because you're essentially over it. You're looking yeah. at it. You can really see everything at a bird's eye view. Yeah. But at that scale, you really have to step back and get a sense of, hey, this proportion, you know, like um, once you apply that paint, you know, yeah. there's no going back. And so you have to really get it right. And they master that. Yeah. Is there is there like a modern day equivalent or at least a piece of work that you've said like, hey, this is pretty close to that, or at least I had the same sort of experience of or enjoyment that I did for the first time that I saw this in person. Yeah, there's a local artist here in Oakland. His name is Aaron Nagel, mm. and his work is probably close to that classic style. He sure. does these really extreme portraits. His use of color, technique, and just lighting is, mm. is, is brilliant. And I actually ran into him the gym one day really and had to calm down you know like yeah i didn't want want to run over there so i i casually walked over and just say hey i I really appreciate your artwork amazing you know just really but his work is if you don't know him look him up aaron nagel again his work is is pretty brilliant um, as far as capturing lighting capturing composition some it's it's pretty spectacular sure and local and local which is is huge so so definitely support local artists out here do it. Um, and so maybe we can kind of transition a little bit into you. Tell us like your story in terms of how you got into sort of creative direction and, and sort of what were the influences that that kind of led you into this field? Okay. Yeah, I knew early on in life, and this, I'm talking about junior high, that I wanted a career in the arts. But in the 80s, you didn't have technology or sure. the resources around you to to understand the what and the how you get there. Right. And so it wasn't until after high school when I really discovered, hey, this is this thing called commercial art. 
you know, mm. in advertising. And so I actually pursued it. I didn't go the traditional route. Like, I didn't go to an art school or sure. anything like that. I went to a series of junior colleges and then an actual technical design school that taught you the basic foundations. And then after that, I got into production, you know, and then quickly transitioned into animation, which was early on in the mid-90s, and jumped right into Flash. Spent a big chunk of learning Flash, was doing some heavy action scripting, and yeah. thought I was going to be an animator, you yeah. know, because I, I love telling those stories in that way that was interactive, right. um, that was constantly moving and constantly evolving. Then I discovered web and really understood that, wow, you know, you have the ability to reach, you know, massive amount of people instantly. Sure. And I dove into that. Yeah. And I, I spent a good chunk of coding, really building out UI. And then CSS really took off and I kind of slowed down because right. I, I couldn't keep up, yeah. <laughs> you know, obviously. Um, and then I started transitioning to more of just um, end-to-end brand sure, you know, and, sure. and, and stepped away from my art director role at an agency yeah. and started freelancing. And yeah. that ballooned into an actual agency. And, right. and that's when I really fell in love with just enterprise design sure. because I did a lot of work for City of Dallas, City of Plano, convention centers, uh, American Heart Association, Baylor Healthcare Systems. And so sure. I did a lot of enterprise work and end-to-end design branding for those entities. Right. Did that for about a decade. And then I got back into in-house sure. and, because that's my sweet spot, you know. Yeah. Having that experience in the agency side and having experience in the entrepreneurial working with um, nonprofits and enterprise companies, right. coming in-house was a natural move. So the latter half of my career, I've just been mostly in-house um, in the various design leadership roles. Mm-hmm. Most recently, I was design manager at a commerce platform in San Francisco where okay. I essentially managed the entire web products and then most recently, I was creative director at an analytics attribution. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was their first creative director hire. I came in and branded them from end to end, from logo lockup to color systems to working with the product team to get general alignment um, yeah. between those systems. Right now, I'm at AWS. I'm a senior art director of the brand team there. So I've been there for about seven months now. So Amazing. that's my journey. Amazing. So so when it comes to like creative direction, are you doing everything yourself or is it more or less like you've been in the game for a while, you know how to execute on these things, and now it's more or less from a consulting, maybe we can get this, these types of folks that specialize in this or that, that can do things maybe better than us. Like sort of how do you approach it then versus now? Yeah, that's a good question. Early on in my my design leadership, I was very much hands-on. That's mm-hmm. not necessarily giving direction because sure. one thing you don't want to do is tell a designer how to design. I mean, that defeats the purpose. And so I was actually designing myself, you know, getting in and actually doing the tactical work. Mm-hmm. Um, now, not so much. I, I still do some lifting as far as like really producing and, and creating some assets. Sure. Uh, but for the most part, and this is from past experiences and, and previous experience, you know, actually um, doing some consulting work. I, I do more of the strategy side, yeah. uh, working with leadership to understand, okay, what are the goals of the, of the business or of the brand? And then um, communicating that down to the team as far as like, okay, what are our design priorities? What are our project yeah. priorities? How can we create the best assets to enable our team to, to, to do their jobs? Yeah. You know? So like if product marketing, our sales team, our events team, they all depend on um, the brand team to actually have assets and creative tools to do their jobs. And so how can we enable them and provide them the best resources and assets to get that done? And so that's what it's more now, just really facilitating. Sure. Um, I try to stay out of way of the actual design work. Sure, sure. Because again, you know, you, we hire designers to do design work. 
Makes and total so sense. It doesn't make sense for <laughs> a creative director to come in and say, hey, do it this way. Like, right. what's the point of that? And so I try to be that player coach yeah. and try to provide them with the resources to do their best job. Yeah. You know? and, so, so, and again, I, I'm really big on just career too. Sure. You know? Like I'm sure. that career coach as far as, hey, what are your goals? Not just for this organization, yeah. but beyond this organization. 100%. How can I help you get there? What resources do you need? What projects are you interested in? And then just really try to help them elevate right. you know, their brand voice, their design voice, and really push that towards their goal. Yeah. And the way that I see it is, is like if you help them achieve their goals, they don't give you 100%. It's going to help the business. 100%. It's going to help us achieve our goals, you know, and then you'll look good. So yeah. um, that's that's kind of my philosophy. Yeah, it's sort of it's sort of like tapping into the intrinsic motivation, right? right. And and obviously some of these other things will, at least from a business perspective, tend to come out. Yeah. When you're kind of like, this is a really interesting kind of perspective, right? So whenever you're approaching creative direction, let's say you have sort of like a brief or a scenario or a task. Do you have an idea of what it's going to look like in the end? Or are you just sort of like, let's see where this goes? And is it surprising? Like, that's kind of like what I what I want to understand. Yeah, you know, and that's a great question yeah. because this is just my opinion. But I, I, yeah. I had the similar conversations with other designers. And yeah. when someone hands you a brief, instantly you start thinking about how it's going to look. You right. start thinking about that end goal. Yeah. But that's not the proper process. You can't just jump to the design because yeah. there there has to be some thinking behind it and there has to be some understanding of, hey, what are the goals of this particular brief? You know, what yeah. are we trying to achieve? Now, is this end result, is this going to solve that problem? And, and most cases, you know, there is some iteration and some tweaking. Yeah. But yeah, for the most part, you look at something, you know exactly what you want to do, but you can't get there. What you have to do is do the research, do the iteration, do the whole planning yeah. to justify that design decision. Yeah. But again, there's some projects where it's a quick turnaround. Sure. You get that brief. And it's like, you need this tomorrow. All right. I'm just going to design this because I know exactly what you need and I know yeah. exactly what's going to work just based off of a similar use case. And right, so, um, right. so yeah, it's pretty hilarious when, when you think about that. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to kind of go into process. Like Matthew and I actually had a conversation before today and one of the things that we talked about was the process. And one of the things that I was actually very surprised is sort of how user-centered it is. You know, it's kind of one of those things we generally tend to talk and relate to only around sort of product design, but maybe kind of take us through the process. And, I, you know, I want to also bring in maybe sort of like what you appreciate about process of art, right? And how you approach it yourself, because you you are also an artist, and so I'd love to sort of understand sort of the intersectionality between those those two things. Yeah, definitely. Um, the way that I see it is, is, and again, this is my opinion, but I don't see product design and brand design as two separate mm. entities. And I know a lot of organizations, you know, the product designers sit on one floor and the visual designers sit on another floor. And there's hardly any ever collaboration. I think that's, again, my opinion, I think that's not the best strategy for sure. creating a cohesive brand experience because the user touches more than just the product. Yeah. You know, you, the user comes in touch with banner ads, you know, with out of home, with messaging, with copy. And so there has to be a consistent story across all channels and platforms and touch points, especially if, you know, a user's never heard of you. What's going to be that first touch? Is it a display ad? Okay, that display ad takes that user to what? A landing page to what? To convert, to sign up. Yeah. And once they sign up, 
and then that experience through the platform. Right. So what's that experience? Is it consistent or is it a completely different visual experience? Right, right. And so my goal is to try to unify those two experiences. And so with design, I infuse a lot of UX practices because mm. I think it's, it's critical to understand what's important to the user, right. what's going to resonate, and how that user journey or that customer journey is going to get that customer to understand, okay, what exactly what we want them to do. For example, it's like the what, you know, what do we want them to do, you know, how we want them to get there, and then what's the end result. And so I, I try to do a lot of research. I like to, you know, talk to customers. I like sure. to talk to stakeholders just to get a sense of what's resonating, what's worked in the past, what we need to iterate, what we need to stop doing completely. And then I go into like the sketching. You know, I do mm. a ton of sketching, even for for web just right. design. I do a lot of sketching. I do a lot of paper testing, you yeah. know, just to see if people can actually work through a process. And then you get to the actual design. Because once you solve the problem of, okay, understanding what the customer wants, understanding what's going to be that best method of getting there, then you can actually start on the UI and actually right. design work. And then once you get to design work, of course, you test it. And then once you ship it, you go back and get more um, data and pull from there. Yeah. But um, yes, that's essentially my process for really how to get to like the best design. Yeah. And it totally makes sense, right? Because you know, if we sort of segment ourselves in these different groups that the customer only sees you as one brand. Right. Right. right? And so that cohesiveness is really important in terms of just like building trust. Mm -hmm. And I think there's also sort of another component of just like, for lack of a better term, quality and consistency. Right. I think we we tend to underestimate that. We do. We do. I think a lot of times we, we focus strictly on one aspect of it. We want to make sure the product has a great experience for our customer. And that's super important. That's very important because if they have a bad experience, then they leave. They don't come right. back. They go, they use another solution. But equally, you want to make sure visually that the stories connect. And so you don't want to have, like I mentioned before, you don't want to have like a stellar looking brand and then the, the user converts, signs up and the product is terrible right? or vice versa. Yeah. You have this amazing product, no one sees it because the branding is terrible. Right. And so you want to make sure that those two are aligned. And yeah. so like, if I were ever leading an entire creative org, I would put all our product designers and brand designers like on one floor. Sure. Like, we would essentially work together. You yeah. know? Um, yeah. We still have your separate goals and your separate leadership sure. to, to drive, but there will be a, a ton of collaboration yeah. and interaction between the two organizations because I, I think that's how you get your best, you know, your best work. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That makes total sense. Tell me, how does your passions around art and then also, you're also very passionate about beer, how have those sort of influenced your work as a creative director, or maybe even vice versa? Yeah, art. I absolutely adore art. Art is essentially my first love. You know, yeah. I, I've been painting since I can remember. Uh, but I'm very process driven. Yeah. You know, and this goes back to the masters, like the whole Flemish technique, which is yeah. like the seven layer process of creating a painting. Sure. And so I try to keep this short, but it all aligns with like how I designed. Yeah. Um, and the design process in general. But before I started painting, you know, I look at the photo, whether I'm painting mm-hmm. an animal or painting a human, I study the photo. You yeah. Know, I try to get a sense of what that, what the, how the lighting is hitting that face. Yeah. You know, the colors are in the eyes. Um, I try to make sure that it's burned into my memory. Sure. And then I start the sketching process. I do a series of study sketches just to understand shape, to understand form. You know, I might focus on the lips, I might focus on the nose. Um, then, and then once I feel like I'm comfortable with that, then I actually go to the canvas. You know, yeah. I sketch it in detail yeah. like on the canvas. And then I put my underpainting on, which brings out those tones. And then mm. I start my color layer. 
And so like I have this really detailed process of how I paint. Uh, once I start that first color layer, I go back over it with what's called the dead layer, mm. which is almost like this black and white muted sure. tone. And then once I accomplish that point, the painting's essentially done. Yeah. You know, now I'm just adding in color, like your final colors. Right, right. And so the reason why I do that is because I want to ensure that I understand exactly what I'm doing. I understand exactly the, the end goal is yeah. to produce this painting. And the process is deliberate right. because it teaches you patience. It teaches you to really think through your process and what you're doing and how how delicately you're approaching it. And so I approach design the same way. You know, sure. I want to study, study the consumer, study the audience, yeah. study, understand exactly what we're trying to achieve, mm. exactly what's going to resonate with them. Yeah. And then you actually start that whole sketching process and then you work your way up to the final UI or your final product and you ship it. Yeah. And so it's a similar approach just because like you want to be really diligent yeah. about who you're communicating to and then ultimately what you want them to do. Yeah. And I, I would imagine you got to be pretty secure about your drawing skills because once you commit to that, I mean, that's sort of the beginning of the process, right? Once once you commit, once you commit to drawing and yeah. getting on the canvas, like that final, that yeah. final, final sketch, and then you spray it. Yeah. <laughs> spray it. It's like the spray mount, not the spray mount, but the actual uh, sure. fix it. Yeah. Um, it's done. Yeah. You know, you're not going back in there changing anything. Right, so, right. Um, you, and that's why it's important to do the research yeah. beforehand and to really understand, I, this is what I want to achieve these are the proper proportions. Yeah. This is the proper scale. This is the proper composition. You want how did, to- question, I didn't mean to interject, no. but I'm, I'm curious. How did you like get secure with your drawing, especially when it comes to like objects and humans? I, I can remember some of the first humans that I drew <laughs> was from a, was from a Marvel comic book drawing. And I started out with triangles and then I would add like the shapes for like the muscles and whatnot. And then you got the digits in the hand. I don't think I actually got good at like faces until I went to art school. So what was that process for you like? Like the one thing that you're going to have to, remember, if, if you ever want to, it's not necessarily if you want to ever become a great artist, because sure. I don't consider myself a great artist. You sure. know, I consider myself, I, I love art. Yeah. And I feel like I'm constantly getting better, but you have to be satisfied with the results. Yeah. And so when I mm. commit to a sketch, I'm done. Yeah. You know, even if there's some some something that's not properly right or sure. properly scaled, you know, it's fine. Like it's fine to me. I yeah. am confident in the sketch. I think it looks exactly like it, or I think it's interpretation of what that image is. Yeah. And so you just have to be happy with the results. Mm. If you strive for perfection, you're going to be ultimately disappointed because yeah. nothing is perfect. Yeah. Wow. The future of work is here at Automatic. The people behind WordPress.com, Jetpack, WooCommerce, Tumblr, and more. Join a team of diverse global perspectives. Create the work environment and schedule that empowers you to perform at your very best. At Automatic, what matters is the work you produce, not how many hours you put in. Work from anywhere you choose. There are automatications working right now in 79 countries around the globe. The intellectual and cultural diversity that results is critical to the company's success. Automatic believes in constant learning and offers mentorship and personal coaching to support your growth. As a small company with a huge footprint, Automatic offers you the chance to have an impact and make a difference. If you're ambitious, energetic, 
and driven by a passion to help people, you can make a visible, profound, and lasting difference working at Automatic. Visit Automatic.com to check the latest job listings. That's A-U-T-O-M-A-T-T-I-C.com. Okay, so now let's transition into your passion. Is passion like overstating it? No, 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 no. I, I am passionate about beer. How did you get into it? <laughs> you know, it's it's hilarious because like growing up, I mean, well, obviously growing up, I wasn't a beer drinker because I was a kid and underage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so let's just like everybody ignore that. Um, but uh, I, I think once I started really, you know, like my, my drinking age, you yeah. know, you you're drinking dumb stuff because you don't know. Like yeah. you're, you're young and you, you only have one goal. Re- regrets. Yeah, yeah. So many, drinking. so many regrets. You know, yeah. you're you're drinking whatever rappers, yeah. whatever rapper raps. You know, you you're drinking that. <laughs> and so, you know, I remember it was gin and juice. But anyway, long story short, uh, <laughs> I'm doing that for a while because I thought that was sophisticated. I, you know, it 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 just works its way back to you know your love for hip hop. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know uh, what really spawned like the. The whole dr- the beer passion, but I do remember drinking Heineken's. Yeah, and I thought Heineken's like God, this is really really good. Mm. And then I switched to Modelo's. And I was like, God, this is really really good. And I was yeah. in Texas at the time. Sure. And I remember um, this local brewing. I can't remember which beer, but I saw the can. And the can mm. was really interesting. It was really art, heavily art directed. Yeah. And I think it was like local buzz. That's the name of the brewery. Mm. And uh, or Four Corners Brewery, and yeah. the beer was local buzz, and it had a bee on it, a bumblebee, and it was a bright yellow. And I thought the can was amazing, and so I, I just tasted it, and I was like, "This is really delicious." Yeah, and that really kicked it off. And so I started tasting more and more and more, and then I started talking to actual brewmasters and mm. trying to get a sense of how should I drink beer, you yeah. know, how should I taste, you know, what should I look for. Sure. And then now I'm to the point to where I, if I could drink beer. I drink beer like wine. You know, really? Where I, I really enjoy it and I really taste it. And I have a smaller glass. Like I don't typically drink out of pints. You know, yeah. I have like a small glass so that I can enjoy it. Right, you know? right, right. Because like if you have this pint, you're going to finish it quickly. But if yeah. you have like this little, almost like a- You're going like to savor it. You're going to savor it. Yeah. Savor it. And so like I, now I'm putting it on the tip of my tongue, taste those first notes. Then I swallow it, taste the aftertaste, yeah. um, smell the hops, you know, the aromas, all the things in there. And so, like, I am super, super passionate about yeah. it. And I even tried to brew several years ago, and it was a total disaster. But yeah. um, hopefully, you, I can you weren't it. happy with the output of that. No, no, I, I don't know what it tastes like. And and, and just just to, to back up, like, I am terrible at following directions, instructions. <laughs> sure, yeah, I. I will glance at directions and, and recipes yeah. and then just will wing it. And so I think that had a lot to do with it. <laughs> or watching the YouTube videos right. and like fast forward there, you fast forward it and you're like, wow, you made it look way easier than it actually is. Speaking of the aroma. So I grew up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, which for listeners is the home of PBR, Paps Blue Ribbon and Miller Lite. They have all since been acquired by major conglomerate companies. But I can I can remember, this didn't necessarily stir up a passion for beer by any means, but I remember going downtown and just smelling the yeast. Oh. It was so strong. <laughs> I don't know if, I can't say that that necessarily turned me off, but now it is something that if I smell it, it kind of reminds me of back home, which oh, is, yeah. which is uh, very, very unsuspecting, especially being out here in the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. So speaking of your passion for beer, you you brought some. 
I did. So I would love for you to maybe kind of take us through what you brought. It's going to be a little bit different today because we are going to have to describe things to you. And when you're listening to this, hopefully it feels like you're here with us and you're you're tasting what we're tasting. <laughs> All right. So today I actually pulled what was in my refrigerator, you know, because I want to be authentic. <laughs> okay. And so I have two different tastings here. All right. One is Pliny the Elder. Okay. Which is a Russian River brewery. Which this is a super, super popular beer. Okay. I, I have some buddies back in Texas. Like, hey, can you ship me that? Oh, because wow. They don't sell it there. Yeah. This is super high in ABV. It's 8%. Oh, wow. And so don't sip this out at a concert outdoors. Sure. Or, or on a live on a, podcast. Yeah, on a live podcast. And so you will regret <laughs> this. Uh, but we, we're going to try this one first. Like okay. It's, it's an Indian L, and the notes are citrus and sure. a little bit of pine. Sure. And and so like... um. So so maybe kind of take it like, you said something about like Indian L. What does that mean? You know, I'm not going to be able to get details into sure, like, sure. The, the Indian L's and, and all the different... Um, yeah. But it's, it's a brewing process, a brewing method. Okay. And so, like, if you look at it, it's like a golden yellow. Ah. You can see through it. Like, you can see through it. So, the, the yeah. darker you get, those are more the stout, the more the, the porters. Yeah. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and pour this other one. And this one is a death in taxes. And this is your oh, wow. total end of the spectrum. This is a very, very dark beer. Wow. Um, I consider it more winter beer. Just, just my opinion. Sure. Because it's dark. It's something that you really pair with, like, chocolate, right. coffee. It does have coffee-flavored notes. Sure. But this is my... Kind of my go-to when I when I am at home resting at night. You yeah, know, I just want to, to to wind down with a nice little flavorful beer. Yeah, and so I'm gonna have you taste Pliny the Elder first. Okay, and then the way I want you to do it is, you know, put in the tip of your first. I want you to, to smell the aroma. Okay, to smell the hops. All right, and actually, we'll pour one. Okay, so so for folks that are listening in, we have two small ball mason jars, and yeah, it, it's filled up to maybe. About like an eighth. Yeah, it's like an eighth. Okay, cool. All right. All right. So, like, first thing you do, and again, just dis- describing the color. It's like this yeah. really nice gold, yellowish, you know, see through. Like, if you hold it up, ah. you can see through it, but it has like this really goldish shine to it. Sure. And so, like, you really just smell it. Smell. Oh yeah. You can very really, citrusy. Yeah, it's very citrusy. Are there any other sort of like nodes I should be looking for? That's pretty much what you're looking for. Okay. And then when you do taste it, like taste the pine. And so mm. like, again, start with placing it on the tip of your tongue. Okay. And then allow it to naturally go down your throat and the aftertaste. Oh, wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. So when you're, when you're talking about sort of like the pine flavor, is this brewed with pine in it? Like, is it brewed with the actual like nodes that I'm smelling and tasting? Yeah, these are just different ways of hops and how they're infused. Gotcha. Uh, again, I won't be able to go into like all the details and the yeah. depths of like the brewing process, but mostly it's like region, like regional, sure. and then just their brewing method. Sure. And so like, uh, and sometimes they do infuse it with different types of flavors, you know? yeah. especially like in the barrels, whether it's like a an oak barrel or yeah. like a steel barrel. Wow. And so, like, it's just different ways of actually brewing that process to get those flavors to really come through. Yeah, yeah. So it's getting to the point where people are making sort of like customized science experiments to yeah, for the flavor. Like it's, it's it's all about design. It's the same way with yeah. design. I imagine the whole process is to test, to test again, and to experiment. Yeah, because there's nothing wrong. I mean, think about hazy IPAs. Sure. I mean, you know, beer's always been filtered. And a brewery in the Northeast decided to not filter it. 
now we have a hazy IPAs. Right, <laughs> and right, so right. that wasn't a thing until mm-hmm. now. And so it's all about experimenting and testing, getting user feedback, yeah. and then going back and iterating and then really just not necessarily following any trends, but trying to be that trendsetter as far yeah. as like what that next thing is going to be. It's sort, of, it's sort of a testament that there is someone out there that will enjoy it. And then, like, my question for you is, like, has this been sort of like an acquired taste? There's so many different types of beers. So were you only drinking one type of beer at once, or has it just kind of been a progressive sort of thing with you? Yeah, I've always been a big IPA, and it goes back to just my palate. I have a very bitter palate. Like, I I love black coffee. I love unsweetened tea. Anything that's really, really bitter has a really nice bite. IPAs, double IPAs, triple IPAs. They have a really strong hot presence. Right. And some people hate it because, right. like, the taste can be extremely bitter and shocking, especially that first, first yeah. taste. Yeah. You know, when it first hits your tongue, there's a bit of a bite. But once you you get halfway through, your your palate is settled and adjusted. Yeah. And it provides, like, a really nice cooling experience. And so, like, and then I switched to, not necessarily switch, but I, I jumped course, in the winters to like stouts and porters, just because they, these are like dessert beers, in my opinion. Right, right, right. And these are beers that like this can, this Death and Taxes, which is a, a dark L, like I can sip on this for a couple hours. Yeah. You know, just because like it is a really great experience and you're not really just sitting out pounding these beers. Right. You're not pounding any <laughs> of these beers just because of the high ABB. They're made to enjoy. Now, if I'm day drinking, I'm going to drink to like stick to the wheat beers. They're very low in alcohol. Is wheat sort of like all year versus seasonal? Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. And so they're very light, super refreshing, very crisp, very, some of them are citrus forward. A lot of them are, are more wheat forward. But yeah, just kind of my go-to. Yeah. So I have, a, I have a question for you, a personal question. And this is just one of the things that I've noticed over time. There are people that can like work while drinking beer. Is that you? No, (laughs) no, 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 no. I I do not mix work and beer. And most of all, because like, I do want to respect the time that I'm I'm giving to the organization that I'm working. And and unless we have a special occasion where the team is doing a happy hour and then, you know, this is totally fine to do that. But no, I, I stick to water and LaCroix and coffee. Don't mix the two because you don't, you don't make sure that you know you're in your right state of mind, right? Right, that's you your work, and you don't want to get in the habit of doing things that are not necessarily you know best practice as far as like yeah. really. I've seen you know scenarios around like hackathons where people will drink in beer into the night. I'm like, I don't know how you all can do that. Oh, you <laughs> like work or I, I take work so serious, yeah, as far and not necessarily like the actual execution part sure. because like we're not saving lives. But as far as like what you give to an organization, 100%. you know, organization trusts you to be at home, especially 100%. in this area. Um, they give you the flexibility. So you want to make sure that you're you're being authentic, you're being trustworthy, and, For and sure. you're, you're doing your best work. So For sure. yeah, I, I typically wait until I'm off. Yeah. And then I'll, I'll go and crack. I have something to look forward to. Yeah. So it's like in the back of my mind, it's like, okay, 30 more minutes, and then I can go sit outside yeah. with this nice cove crisp IP. And it's better. You don't have to focus on it. Yeah, you don't have to focus right? on it. You, you have to think about yourself. it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. All right. Now we've got sort of the the stout you said. Yeah, the, this is a death in taxes. Okay. This is like moonlight brewing. And for those that can't see it, it is dark. You can't see it through. It's like if you hold it to the light, you won't be able to see through any of that. No. Now you'll be able to taste the notes are coffee and chocolate. Mm. So same thing. You taste smell it. You can smell the aromas. So what's like the aroma that I'm this is a little bit of like chocolate, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Kind of smells a, a bit like a Tootsie Roll. I don't, you know, I don't, if, if, if you're younger, maybe you don't eat Tootsie Rolls anymore, but that's kind of what I'm smelling. 
Now time to taste it. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, that's nice. That's pretty smooth. Yeah, that's real it's smooth. It's actually really refreshing. It is. And it's surprisingly refreshing because wow. typical dark beers like stouts and porters, they're very thick. Wow. They're very thick. It's almost like you can take a, you can chew it. But this wow. one is light. It's this a, is really it's good. It's a light dark beer, right? It's one of my favorites. Wow. It actually was like very refreshing. It's getting a little warm in here. And so when I when I drank it, I was like, oh, that that tastes pretty good. And there's not a bite. No, there's no bite. Wow. There's no bite. It's really smooth. It goes down smooth. Yeah. I can I can see how you can sip on this really mm-hmm. slowly and and really enjoy it throughout the day. My whole thought on darker beers is that, you know, again, like they're super, super heavy. Yep. And almost to the point where it would kind of slow you down. <laughs> But I, I really enjoyed that one. Yeah, there are some out there that are very, I can't think of the names, but um, they're very heavy, very stouty. Like, as a matter of fact, I, I was, I spent some time, my, my wife traveled for work sure. for a few years ago. Yeah. And it took her to Dublin, Ireland. Wow. And, and I was fortunate to go with her. And it was Guinness all day. Yeah. All day, every day, to the point to where I gained probably gained a good six, seven pounds, you know, <laughs> on, that, on that trip. <laughs> but it was the, the Guinness there. I don't know what it was, but it was fantastic and delicious. Really? And it, might, it might have just been because I was in Ireland. Yeah. But the, Guinness, the, mind, the mindset. The mindset. The yeah. mindset. And every, everywhere you walked, it's like a pint. Like, <laughs> might as well. <laughs> yeah. Don't mind if I do. It, yeah. it reminds me of like, you know, this is going to be a terrible comparison. But it's like I, I took my parents down to Monterey to visit. And we were on the Fisherman's Wharf. And yeah, we just had clam chowder samples all day. And we were like, why not? Why not? And it never gets old. It doesn't get old. Yeah. Like, why not? Yeah. You're here. So in terms of Guinness and this, like, what do you rank it? Oh, well, this is, it's, it's so hard to rank, <laughs> rank beers just because it's, it's different brewing process, it's different yeah. flavors, different tones. But I, I I don't even drink Guinness here, which is weird. Sure. You know, like I enjoyed that that moment in, in Dublin and it was fantastic, but I haven't touched it since. Right, right, right. Not because I don't like it, but it's just there's so many other beers. Like I, I typically stick stick with Russian River, yeah. which is Pliny the Elder. Humble Sea is my new go-to, and they have some delicious IPAs, and then Hen House. Those are like my three that I'll rotate in between. But as far as ranking, like if I had to pick one, I mean, it will probably be Humble Sea right now. Mm. Um, Their IPAs are just fantastic, and so like that's pretty much my go-to. So everybody, it's Friday. You have your beer suggestions that we're giving you and they're you know for folks in california they're actually local to california both of these Mm -hmm. so again just keeping it local keeping it local california has some amazing beer in addition to the wine the wine is fantastic here it's best in the world but the beer is also amazing so check it out check out all the local breweries here and support them so in terms of just like when you're tasting i'd love to maybe you know we, we kind of talked about process is there a way to appreciate a beer can you taste the process sort of when you're drinking it. And then I'd maybe want to kind of know is, is that the same way you kind of see some of the best work of art or even design, creative work? Is it understanding that they went through sort of like this process to get there to something that is a bit more refined and accessible? Yeah, that's that's great. I approach everything and I, the way that I taste beer, the way that I buy beer is 
based on the entire story, the sure. entire narrative. If you look at this Death and Taxes can, the can, the, the artwork is reminiscent of like it's really aggressive illustration style. Mm. Um, and to me, that's probably a story behind that. And and so I, I usually try to find an interest and dive deep into that. And the way that I see that is, is the way about design, how there is a process and a story Right, everything that we're doing. And again, the ultimate goal is to provide and, and to produce like this amazing product right. for consumers to digest because you want them to convert. You want them to come back and right. enjoy it again. And so I look at everything from not just the tasty notes, but to the art direction of the cake. Right, right. Because there's some thought and consideration. Um, Laughing Monk Brewery, you know, they have a ton of, of art-directed series cans based upon all types of themes and so there's some thought into that. Yeah. There's some thoughts to consider on their audience. And so I, I approach design the same way is, uh, again, you know, what is the goal of this piece? You know, what we want the user to do and then how we want to give them delight. You know? Yeah. Like the artwork on the cans, that delightful moment that gets you to come back more over and over again. And yeah. So like, that's essentially how I approach it. And I, I really appreciate the fact that we had this question because it also comes back to sort of that moment where it hits you with the can and yeah. then you tasted it. And I think that's a part I actually never really thought about is sort of like the packaging and the story behind it. Right. Right. And I would probably maybe connect the dots there. Artwork is the same way. Yeah. Right. It's it's telling a story. It doesn't exist. Like the artwork itself actually doesn't exist in a vacuum. It's actually about the context. Mm -hmm. I can really appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, art, if you think about it, if you look at any true masters out there, that masterpiece. Yeah. Uh, again, I'm going to use Assumption of the Virgin. That captured a moment in time. Yeah. And that moment in time will be forever in that painting for the rest of the life, for the rest of the history of the world. Yeah. And the same thing with beer. You know, there's this this recipe that's out there in the world and it could change over time, but the the core element is still, the foundation is still the same. And right. the same thing applies to design. You know, a, a company or organization can constantly evolve their brand but that foundational elements are still there. Yeah. And so they are connected and, yeah. and the way that they approach it is similar. Yeah. So a couple of days ago, I had the UX Research Corner on the show. And through that show, we somehow ended up planning like their next vacation and, and meetup. And I think there's some interesting opportunities here between the artwork that you do and potentially doing some beer tasting. Oh, is that something that you've kind of been thinking about doing now that things are also kind of opening up too? Yeah, I, I definitely thought about trying to come up with some type of art theme. You yeah. Know, not necessarily a paint by numbers. I know they have the wine and, and paint. Sure. Um, have like a beer and paint, but like um, have different themes. Yeah, I'm definitely exploring some ways to infuse art and my passion for beer. And so there's yeah. some things that I definitely want to consider, especially once things open up. I might try to find a space or a partner and, and make that happen. Amazing. And then how can how can folks sort of see some of the art that you've been working on? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can go to my website, mbarnesart.com. Follow me on Instagram, also mbarnesart. Twitter, mbarnesart, consistency and continuity. <laughs> so, yeah. so yeah, and also I'm on LinkedIn by my name, but um, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and of course my website. Amazing. Well, look, folks, I'm super happy that you were able to join us and we were able to to go through some of your favorite beers and it's heating up outside. And so we're officially in summer and this is going to be a great weekend and we'll be looking forward to whatever you decide to do in terms of, you know, beer tasting and painting if possible. Um, 
But thank you again. Thank you. This was great. Yeah, great. this was fun. This was yeah. fun. For everyone that's tuning in, thank you. I can't express that enough. This is for sure has been a first for, for me, obviously for SF Design Week. And it's been a treat to, to really be able to bring on a ton of talented folks from all around the world, actually, to really share their stories and their passions with you. As we're starting to, to kind of sign off, you can follow Technically Speaking on any major podcast platform. Follow Technically Speaking on Twitter, on Instagram. You can get all of that stuff at gettechnical.io. I'm your host, Harrison Wheeler, once again. And enjoy the rest of San Francisco Design Week. This is the conclusion of the week stream, but there are still a lot of amazing events until Sunday. And I think there's a few the week after next. But again, this is Matt Barnes and Harrison Wheeler, and we're signing off. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.